Good morning, my name is Matt Trexler. I am the RUF campus minister at UCLA, and I am so excited to be with you here this morning. I have a question, though, for you. It's easy to state, but hard to answer. And the question is this. Who are you? Who are you? What is the most important thing about you? Maybe another way of asking it would be, what defines you? A writer or columnist for the New York Times was invited to speak at Stanford's university graduation address. He was invited to give the address, and he asked his colleagues at the New York Times, what should I say, what advice should I give to these recent graduates as they go out into the world? And he said the majority of his colleagues said something along the lines of, tell them to be yourself. Tell them to be yourself, to go out into the world. And he said, it just seemed to ring hollow. And he wonders, he's like, you know, and this is, this is the writer of the New York Times saying, I feel like our culture is obsessed with self-actualization. We're self-actualization. And what does Jesus have to say about the question of who we are and the advice to be yourself? He says to deny yourself. What does that mean? And how do you do that? Uh, I hate going to the dentist. Um, and I, if you're a dentist in here, I apologize. Like I, uh, this is not against you. This is a personal thing. I have a very sensitive gag reflex. And so when I'm at the dentist and my mouth is open and drool is coming out of my mouth and they're working and poking on my gums, my dentist in North Carolina, where I'm from, always asks me, you know, he always asks me questions like, what do you think about the election? What do you think about these kinds of things? And as I seek to answer, he's like, keep your mouth open. And I'm like, I can't do both of these. It's awful. This is a terrible thing. It shows this is a first world problem. Um, but I think something similar. When someone tells me, you have a dentist appointment today, something inside me dies. Okay, something inside me dies. And I really do think that when we hear the title, we're going to talk about self-denial today. A similar feeling might well up inside of you. Oh, I know it'll be good for me, but I'm not going to enjoy a minute of it. Self-denial is the spiritual equivalent of a root canal, right? Oh, deny myself. What does that even mean? But what if I told you that the biblical call to self-denial is actually, while very challenging, an invitation to freedom. Now, this will require a radical reorientation to maybe ways in which we've thought about self-denial. So here's how I propose that we talk about it. We're going to talk about the challenge, the definition of self-denial. We've got to define it. The challenge of self-denial and the freedom of self-denial. The definition, the challenge, and the freedom. First, let's look at the definition. Typically, how we've talked about self-denial is this. Let's imagine that I have a plate of cookies, warm, just out of the oven, the right amount of butter, right amount of sugar, gluten-free if you need it. Um, and, and, and I place it right here and I say, okay, everyone come up and get as much as you want. And you think, no, 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 no. I need to deny myself, right? I need to deny myself. I might take one, but I can't take two. I need to deny myself. We typically think of it as I have a desire, and I deny that desire, right? But that's actually self-control. That's not self-denial. Self-control is a fruit of self-denial. 
But that's not its essence. That's not what it is in itself. So how do we define self-denial? Jesus comes up and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Which is a very weird question for Jesus to ask. And they're like, well, some say John the Baptist, some say you know, Elijah, some say a prophet that's risen. And he says, okay, okay, but who do you say that I am? And then Peter correctly answers, you're the Christ of God. You're the Christ of God. He says, yes, don't tell anyone this, but yes, because this is my identity. This is who I am. I belong to my father. I am my father's son. Right when, Jesus was, right when Jesus was baptized, he came out soaked in the love of his Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then he was led into the desert where he was tempted, right? Where he had to spend 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil came and tempted him. And these temptations even dealt with his identity of who he was. And Jesus almost had to say, I know who I am. That if I know who I am and who I belong to, that I belong to my Father, this then leads to my vocation, my suffering, that I must go through, the temptations that I must face, the road that I must take. And that's what he says in this passage too. Yes, I am the Christ of God. For this reason, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the scribes and the, and the, and the chief priests and be put to death. And then he says, if you also wish to follow me, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. What this means is that if Jesus knows who he is, if he's able to answer the question, who am I? If he knows that he belongs to his father and that leads to his vocation of suffering, and then Jesus says, you must also pick up your cross and follow me, it begs the question, who are you? You have to know who you are if you are going to follow him, if you're going to actually lead a life of discipleship. Which is why I'm going to argue that the biblical call to self-denial is not the denial of self-indulgence. It's not primarily the denial of self-indulgence. But the biblical call to self-denial is a denial of self-definition. That the biblical call to self-denial is a denial of self definition. What does that mean? It means Jesus alone has the authority to tell you who you are. Jesus alone has the authority to define you, which is a very radical thing if we actually go into it. But it's also a very freeing thing. And that will actually allow us to pick up our cross every day and follow him. And you might begin to say, well, that's not how I've typically thought of self-denial. I don't know if I agree with that. But actually, the word deny that's used here is also used when, Jesus, when Peter denies Jesus three times. Peter denies Jesus. He denies a whole person. You do not have authority over me. I don't know this person. I don't know you. And then in some ways, Jesus is saying, you need to practice a denial of your whole self. That you actually don't have the authority to define who you are. You don't have the authority. I have that authority. I tell you who you are. Jesus alone defines who I am, which actually brings with it a great challenge. Because what the, when we actually, when you pick up your cross, what Jesus is drawing upon this image is in Roman culture, when a, when a criminal had to bear their cross, they were dead to everyone else. They had died to their government, to their family, to every, they were a social outcast a cross-bearing pariah, so to speak. 
And Jesus is saying, in some ways, you actually have to pick up your cross and you have to die to everything that you're seeking to define your life by. And you must follow me. You can no longer be defined by your social status, by your wealth, by other people's approval, by your dreams or ambitions, by anything whatsoever. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It is radical. So here's my question for you then. What do you, what things do you seek every day to define you? What do you seek to define you? And maybe another way of looking at it is, what is something in your life that if you failed at it, it would utterly crush you? Or utterly crush your sense of self-worth and self-identity? For me, I think it's people's approval. If I don't have these people thinking well of me, if I don't have their approval, then I'm, I'm not someone worth being loved. I'm not significant. It's funny that Jesus says, I will be rejected by the scribes and the chief priests and all these powerful people, I will actually die to them. I will die to this identity. Some of it, I think, even in the Gospels and ways in which we try to define ourselves, one, two topics that really come up a lot are money and approval. I think people try to actually find security in their wealth. And Jesus notices that. And Jesus will say, you know, the reason why you have so much anxiety is that you seek to define yourself by the number of possessions that you have. And life is actually not defined by that. Your life is not defined by that. It's not defined by the love of money or how many things that you own. It's not what you wear, what you drive, what you do. But that's what our culture would say, isn't it? You are what you wear. You are what you do. You are what you drive. This is what defines you. And Jesus says, no, it actually doesn't. And he says, you know, there's a sense in which if you look at the sparrows and the lilies... They neither toil, they don't live in anxious toil, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Why do you seek to define yourself in this way? Why do you toil? Why do you go go to bed late and wake up early eating the bread of anxious toil? Because He gives to His beloved sleep. Psalm 127. Why do you seek this? Do you know that my Father loves you? that He cares for you, that He will provide for all of your needs. You do not need to be afraid. You know what Jesus is doing in that moment? He's telling you who you are in relation to His Father. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I tell you who you are. And that leads to radical giving. That's actually what Jesus says even to His disciples at one point in Luke 12. Um, little children, little flock, the Father delights to give you the kingdom. Therefore, go and sell your possessions and do these things. Radically be self-sacrificing because you know who you are. Once you know who you are, once you are secure in that love, you can actually live out a life of sacrificial generosity and love because that's where the gospel always begins. It begins in who we are and what Jesus has done for us and that leads to real radical obedience. But even in approval, Jesus said, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. This is, of course, a great temptation in ministry. You can preach the gospel out of a desire for self-advancement. You can desire to, to preach these things so that people will love you. You can do, maybe you can even do your own work and your, your, whatever your callings are because you want people to look at you and give you a sense of self-worth and significance. 
If Paul, Paul said that if I serve Christ out of selfish ambition, I would actually no longer be a servant of Christ. That if I did it out of these reasons, if I did it for these purposes, then I'm actually no longer serving Christ. Because I'm seeking to define myself by what people think about me. It's not that celebration is a sin, but the love of praise can be a great evil. What happens when other things beside Jesus become our self-identity? I remember Michael Jordan, amazing basketball player, and we know he's amazing because he was in Space Jam. Um, <laughs> shows you my age. Um, but Michael Jordan was a great basketball player. No one would deny that. And he, actually, he gave a speech at the Hall of Fame. Induct, you know, he's inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he gave the speech. And if you know a little bit of Jordan's story, he was cut from his varsity team. He didn't make the varsity team. Uh, and actually what we may not know is the coach actually cared a great bit for Jordan in that moment. And he would invite him over uh, to his home for dinner. He would take him to school sometimes. He would take him to practice. And he, he, the reason he did it was he didn't feel like Jordan was mature enough to do it yet, but he deeply loved Jordan. He cared for him. But Jordan wasn't able to see this. Uh, and actually, Jordan invited this coach many, many, many years later to his Hall of Fame speech. He gave him a personal invitation. And while he's giving the speech, he said, that's the man that cut me. That's the coach that cut me. Right? And then he goes through in this long diatribe, and he just kind of tears the man down a little bit. And he says, you see, I proved him wrong. You see what I did? I proved him wrong. And ESPN actually wrote an editorial on this about the speech. And this is what ESPN said. On stage, Jordan unnecessarily noted his coach before going on a diatribe about how organizations don't win championships, great players like him do. Jordan's right, of course, but why bring that up on stage in front of all of basketball's upper echelon? And this is what he said. Because Jordan is the ultimate alpha male, and this was his ultimate alpha male moment. He doesn't get that anymore, not in public. This was it for him. That's sad. That's really sad. Compare that and contrast that with someone like Jeremy Lin. Um, Jeremy Lin actually went to Pacific Crossroads in L.A., uh, and he actually went out to eat with one of my friends in Los Angeles, and they were, him and his brother were getting dinner with them, and he was just joking about, you know, all these pranks he pulls and video games he plays, and he, he was talking about how he gets traded all the time, and sometimes he feels like he's never really, he's always like a B player that sometimes goes down a little bit. And, 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 he, and, he, and my friend said this. He said, he was just at ease. He was at ease. There's a sense in which he knows that sometimes he's respected and sometimes he's not and sometimes he's thought about and sometimes he's just completely forgotten. But it didn't really seem to shake him. There was a sense of ease about him. And Lynn would say in an interview that he finds his identity in Christ. He finds his identity in Christ. And that actually gives him peace. And when you don't, well... You turn bitter, you turn anxious, you turn afraid. And this actually is what leads to the last point I want to talk to you about, which is the freedom of self-denial. I always worried, I always wondered this about Jesus. He, he would talk about the light yoke that he would give to people. If you come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you a light yoke. And then there's other times when he says, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. So which is it? A light yoke or a heavy cross? And I always kind of view Jesus almost in this, 
This kind of like going through radical mood swings depending on the day that you'd read him, right? Or the time that you'd see. Some days it's nice, gentle Jesus, you know, and other times he's like, it's like hardcore discipleship, right? In a sense. It's like, it's like, wow, he woos us with the cheese of the gospel to string the mousetrap of like hardcore demands, right? It's like Jesus, meek and mild, turns into like Vader, deny yourself, right? <laughs> and all these things, right? I think you laugh because it does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's like, oh, Jesus, lover of my soul, it feels that way. And other times it's like, is he punching me in the stomach? What's going on? Which Jesus do I get? That's how I, I really wrestled with that. I, and it was a real hard thing for me, even in, in my faith. I, which Jesus are we talking about? Which one is it? Do I, do I, do I come and rest or do I come and die? What's the, what's the call? It actually wasn't until I started reading The Cost of Discipleship by Bonhoeffer that he said, they're the same that actually the light yoke is the cross you bear. That actually as you die to all of these things, that as you die to the things that define you, as you pick up your cross, it's actually a freedom. It's actually a light yoke of rest. Because the things that drain you, the things that give you anxiety, the things that keep you up at night, that when you go to bed you wonder, what is my life even about? Those worries, those anxieties die when you begin to walk behind Jesus and he tells you who you are. When Jesus defines who you are, that changes everything. Because when you're picking up your cross and Jesus says there will be suffering. And when you're doing that and and you're dying to all of these things, you need all the encouragement you can get. And it's in those moments that you need to remember that you walk behind a Savior. That you follow behind a Savior who loves us. You know, we actually struggle to believe that God loves us, don't we? We hear that all the time. God loves you. God loves you. And it kind of rolls off you like water on a duck, right? It's just kind of like, just right off. It just seems so cliche. It seems like a Hallmark card. It doesn't feel real. Because many of us don't know love that lasts the course. Many of us only know love that's very fickle. We know, we, we know love that's very conditional, Because we've been shaped by what people have said about us. We've been shaped by the things our parents have said about us. We've been shaped by the things our friends have said about us. We remember being betrayed. We remember all different kinds of things and we begin to wonder, is love real? What is this love that actually talks about? Or is it just some Hallmark card that we tell people on Valentine's Day or whatever it may be? What is love? And we don't believe that God's love is actually as great as it is. You know, God doesn't just tolerate you. He actually likes you. He actually loves you. God doesn't love you because Jesus died on the cross for you. God does not love you because Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus died on the cross for you because God loves you. Sinclair Ferguson said that's all the difference in the world. God has always loved you. Always. He has never failed to love you, even when you do not feel it. Sometimes you actually have to pray, not, don't pray, Lord, love me more, but Lord, give me a greater capacity to experience the love you already have for me. Open up, so I, I'm basically drinking your love through a tiny straw that's leaking. Lord, allow me to open up to experience more and more of the love that you actually have for me. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, Think about that for a second. How has the Father loved Jesus? How much has the Father loved Jesus? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Then remain in my love. 
As much as the Father loves Jesus, is the same amount that Jesus loves you. And in that is your identity. That is your hope in the midst of suffering. That is your hope in the midst of this world when it doesn't really feel <clears throat> like anything's actually getting better. When it feels like everything is dark. When you're going through a divorce. When you have a friend betray you. This is the love that we need. This is actually what defines us. Jesus says, you know what? Not even your sin defines you. This is actually, self-denial is the end of guilt. It's the death of guilt. Because Jesus alone tells us who we are. You are not your sin. You're not your struggle with sin. You're not that sin that keeps beating you down. I'd have to tell my UCLA students all the time, you're not your grade. You're not your grade. But even more so, you're not your sin. Your worth's not tied up to the moment when she broke up with you and you failed your team during the last five seconds of the game. You're not the amount of friends you have. You're not the sin that you committed many years ago. You're not what's in your bank account. We said it today, you are a child of the Heavenly Father. You're a son and daughter of the King. Queen Elizabeth, uh, I remember reading the story about her. I don't know if it's true, but I really like the story. And she was seven years old at the time, so she was a princess. She was with the royal family uh, at their summer home in Scotland, and she was playing with her sister, uh, also a princess, of course. And they see this cottage, and they go up, and they knock on the cottage door, and this old woman comes. It sounds like the beginning of Hansel and Gretel. It's not. But <laughs> this, this old woman kind of comes to the door, and, she's, and she recognizes both of them. She recognizes the two girls to be uh, royalty. And the girls ask, and they mud, mud all over their clothes and all these things, and they ask, we're so hungry, can we have something to eat? And she says, do you know who you are? And they're like, yes, we know who we are. Can we please have something to eat? We're really hungry. And the woman is just flabbergasted. I mean, she's looking at but do you know, do you know who you are? She was like, yes, we know who we are. Can we please have something to eat? She's like, of course you can. You're daughters of the king. When you pray to Jesus, when you go to him, and we think, I don't know if he's going to hear my prayer. I don't know if he's really listening. How do I know he's really going to answer me? Jesus looks at you and he says, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? I'm your brother. You're a child of my father. I intercede for you daily. I pray for you. I love you. I've given myself for you. That's what Paul said too, isn't it? It's not I who lives in me, but Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. That's actually self-denial, what he's saying in that moment. It is not I who live. I have been crucified with Christ. It is Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you begin to see self-denial this way, you see it all over Scripture. Jesus alone has the authority to tell us who we are. Which means that he doesn't look at us and say, Oh, there's Martha the gossip. There's Bill the liar. There's Jim the Pharisee. There's that person who struggles with this sin. Actually, when you come up to Jesus, he says, I'm so glad that you are my disciple. I'm so glad that you are my disciple. Now pick up your cross daily. Die to these things and follow me. 
Jesus alone has the authority to tell us who we are. And when, and when we give ourselves to Him and let Him tell us who we are and define us, we'll be free and we'll be at rest. And we can actually live radical obedience, even in the midst of great suffering. The initial question that I asked, who am I, is answered in Sunday schools and nurseries all over the world. When we sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. The question that's haunted philosophers for years is answered right there. That's who we are. It is the song of self-denial, and it is a liberating song. May we all learn to sing it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your love to us. I thank You that You have set us free, that You alone tell us who we are, that You define us. Lord Jesus, that actually allows us to walk behind You daily, to suffer many things, which many of us in here are suffering. So Lord, I pray that as each person, You look at them in their shame, in their guilt, in their fear, in their quest for self-definition, Lord, that you tell them who they are. In you, and you, Christ Jesus, will you be more beautiful to us and allow us to live radical lives of sacrifice to worship and glorify you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.